everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon here with a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, our guest is a very funny, very lively, effervescent person named Jared Goldstein. We talk all about his early experiences in live entertainment, including but not limited to an SNL sketch he did with Rachel Dratch. So hunker down and sink your teeth into some new hijinks. Forever. Dog. Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by actor, writer, comedian, and recent ab muscle enthusiast, Jared Goldstein. Hi, Jared. Hi, Jinx. You did it. I nailed was it. That, was that the toughest cold read you've ever had to do? I mean, I've listened to, to many episodes of this podcast, and I'm going to say no what? one. No one has. <laughs> no one said hijinks quite as well as I just did. <laughs> and it's really amazing. You don't see that kind of performance every day. The play on words really came through in your delivery. I'll but say. also, I didn't push it. I just threw it away. It was so <laughs> like, it was just so in the pocket. Would you say it's this um, sense of bravado, this um, unyielding confidence that's gotten you where you are today? (laughs) No, 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 no. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. It's like extreme intensity, extreme fear, absolute desperation. Hidden by the hidden behind the facade of I literally well put together. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing. I literally figured out like probably three years ago that I could pretend to be so, so confident and it would make me laugh. And then I would actually just feel relaxed. (laughs) And I was like, wow, isn't that a novel idea that I could just pretend to be so arrogant and confident that it would just snap me out of feeling not confident. (laughs) I mean, that's what drag is. That's exactly what I think, you know, nine out of 10 drag queens are doing when they get all gussied up and then they tromp around the club, you know, clacking fans and getting up in people's faces, screaming bitch. And it's all it's all the same, you know. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I was actually just talking with Dela the other day about um, um, I don't know. I I have a really I, I am a drag queen. I don't even know this about me. Um, But I am not typically, you know, I have a sense of confidence. I have a sense of self. I have a siren in the background um, interrupting this your That's your sense of self siren. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! I I definitely feel confident when I'm doing good work, but when it's like just me – even if I'm looking gorgeous, if it's me just standing there with a bunch of people, it's hard for me to like 
present that air of like, yes, mama, I'm fierce, you know, (laughs) comes out like Winifred Sanderson. Um, And it's just so funny to me that like I can be in the same profession as other people. And um, I look at them and I'm like, wait a second, you don't hate yourself? Wait, what's going on here? You're a drag queen who actually like really likes yourself. <laughs> like, I, how did that happen? <laughs> I love, I love that you just said that because, like the like I I used to work at a drag queen bar. I am a comedian. I've seen like there are so many parallels between drag and comedy, and I feel the exact same. So many like friends of mine are comedians who are so like just through and through like energetic effervescent like set the tone bring energy when there isn't energy and i'm like how are we in the same line of work <laughs> this is incredible <laughs> well i think you bring an effervescence to everything you do um well thank you we've known each other um for oh i don't know something like 3 3 years now maybe can't be that long i think so Yes. Time and goes it by all, fast. It all it really does. The older you get, the quicker life just slips through your fingers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it all started when a <laughs> mutual weeping. friend of ours, <laughs> um, Nick Sahoya, my my you know longtime collaborator, literally just forwarded um, your Instagram to me and said, "Hey, you'll have a crush on this person. <laughs> I'll try to introduce you to the next time you're in LA." <laughs> And lo and behold, he was absolutely right. I saw those long, um, those long brown locks of hair, and I was like, "Yep, this is, this is uh, my type in a nutshell." Just you know, funny, self-loathing, long hair. That's all it takes for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and from that, you know, stemmed a, a really lovely friendship that mm-hmm. we've cultivated. Um, mainly through social media through the last few years. Yeah. Honestly, that's how I meet all of my favorite people. I meet them online first. I think yeah. everyone feels that way. It's, I mean, yeah. And and I have to say, for queer people, this has been the norm for some time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I remember... I mean, I actually had queer safe spaces to go as a teenager. But... Um, that's because I grew up in Portland. That's not like the norm for a lot of young queer people. Mm-hmm. But I remember, you know, you can't, it wasn't like we could go to the mall back in the day, walking through the mall um, and just like saying, hi, everyone. I'm looking for other queer friends here at this mall. Um I actually met so many of my early friends or my best friends today. Thank you. And That's uh, how I do through- it. That's my queer friend call. <laughs> Um, MySpace. Were you old enough for MySpace when it was still around? Yeah, I um I wanted to be uh, a teen pop idol uh, <laughs> at one moment in my life, uh, and it was a time when you would do that on MySpace. So I had yeah. a MySpace for like my music. Ooh! If anybody heard the demos, anywhere? it exists in my phone. And if anyone ever heard the music. I would simply pass away. <laughs> simply just turn to ash. I, w- I would turn <laughs> to ash. I would. Uh, um, back in the day, MySpace, before MySpace predates Grinder, and you had to use to 
set all the search filters to get it to just like show you local queers in your area. And that's how I met a lot of my friends early in the day. Wow. Um, Early in the day, you know, at 6 (laughs) a.m. I was out there finding. (laughs) But to bring this all back to a point, I think queer people have utilized technology and, you know, um, covert ways of meeting other queer people, um, at least... You know, you're older queers. <laughs> Bunch I don't of know. Nerds. How old are you, Jared? Because I'm trying to do the math here and I'll tell you why. My producer, Big Dipper, maybe you've heard of him, um, sent me an SNL clip from oh, 2013. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. That'll that'll age that'll age a person. <laughs> so you were on SNL as an actual child. Yeah. I don't know how old you are in the clip, but it's a very, very funny sketch. It's Rachel Dratch is a kid on a kid's show, like a Barney send up, but mm-hmm. she has just begun to develop and her giant boobs are too distracting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's Rachel Dratch surrounded by actual children and you're like the front and center child in that sketch. I really was. Uh, a fun, mm. So a fun thing about the sketch is it's very accessible. Uh, it's called the Fun <laughs> Friends Club. So hit pause, get on YouTube, <laughs> look it up, watch the sketch, come back, and you're back. Um, and Tina Fey later on Howard Stern said that it, he asked her what's her favorite sketch that she wrote at SNL, and she said that sketch. And then... It's a very good sketch. <laughs> it's really fun. It's really, really fun. And then about two years ago, uh, I got a text from a friend who is a writer who uh, was in a room of Tina's. Uh, and, and the text was like, hey, were you on SNL as a kid? And I just thought that she saw... Because I had like tweeted about it at one point. Mm-hmm. So I thought that she had just like seen the tweet or something. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then she was like, I'm in a room right now. And Tina just put it on. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And she was like, yeah, Tina put the sketch on. And then two of us in the room went, I think that's Jared Goldstein. <laughs> and she was like delighted that they knew the kid and the, the boy in the, in the, in the sketch. Um, so I just love that like I and Tina Fey are still playing this sketch for people today. <laughs> We're both I, showing people. That's, that's kind of the the most remarkable part of the story because I think it's probably one of the worst things that I do to people is something, (laughs) something will remind me of something I filmed or shot or did at one point I'll be in a conversation with someone and they'll say one key word that goes, Oh wait, I have a sketch about that here. Let me put it on my phone (laughs) and ask everyone to stop talking Okay, stop talking, everyone. And um, everyone crowd around my phone and watch this thing I did while I watch you watching it to see how much you like it. Um, But I think that's pretty universal for performers. We're all terrible. Um, I think so. I think unfortunately so, yeah. But I think the thing that blew my mind is, you know, I think after like 21, 22, um, between 21 and 40 everyone in the queer community is just the same age. You know, it's kind of like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's a certain arrested development. <laughs> Love that show too. Anyway, um, so, you know, we've we've known each other for a few years and I never think about us being different ages. But then I watched this sketch where you were a literal child 
dancing (laughs) with Rachel Dratch. And I think I was filming Drag Race at the same time. So while I was a full-grown adult filming television, you were a literal child making it bigger than me in one fell sketch. So... Um, but your your professional career does not begin and end with your SNL sketch. You've been in you've been in the biz like forever, right? Yeah, yeah. I started uh, <laughs> I started when I was just a little boy on Long Island, um, <clears throat> and I started in in musical theater as a singer. Yeah. What was what was your uh, go to audition song back in the day? There were two. Uh, uh-huh. If they wanted an upbeat song, it was I Just Can't Wait to Be King from The Lion King. Because that was the first thing I ever auditioned for, like a big open call to play Simba. And it was like hundreds of kids. And then after like months and months and months, it was like down to me and two other boys. Mm-hmm. And I did not get it. But it was it was enough to, to realize I should try to keep doing this. Um, and then if they wanted a ballad, I would sing Where is Love from... From Oliver, and I would cry. <laughs> you could cry on like command. my voice would break from crying. Oh, it was oh my god, perfect. <laughs> uh, it was so good. Um, I just can't wait to be king is a triggering song for me because it's the song my family used to try to get me to sing for company, and I've always loved singing, but I hated it when people like would tell me to sing. Of course, I only wanted to sing when it was like my choice. Yes. Um. <laughs> a, a photographer last night asked me to told me to flip my hair, and I was furious. <laughs> it is my favorite thing to do. It's all I ever do. It's my only trick. I'm barely a comedian. <laughs> I just flip my hair, and someone told me to do it, and I was like, "What the fuck did you just say to me?" <laughs> um, you back but, the fuck off. But I totally understand that because as a kid, like my parents, they were so supportive and they were so chill. Um, about me leaving school, me like become like trying to become like a professional actor as a kid. Um, we were like around all these like demon stage parents, and my parents were never mm-hmm. like that. But when my mom got around the family, the extended family, uh-huh. that's where it came out, and she was like, "You're gonna sing at this. <laughs> You're gonna sing, damn it!" <laughs> like, yeah, like at this family function, and I would cry and cry and didn't want to and. And yeah, she would make me sing like The Lion King for my family. And it was so triggering. It made me so upset. It was always The Lion King with me too. Um, I had to sing, I just can't wait to be king. Or if my aunt was feeling up to it, we would have to sing, um, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? My aunt was only, she's only um, 10 years older than me. Um, But she loved to sing can you feel the love tonight? And it made me really uncomfortable to sing that as a child with my, <laughs> with my aunt, who was like, uh, who was more like a mother to me than like what a pre-prescribed notion of an aunt would be. But, um, mm-hmm. and she would try to get me to sing it like on our walks around the neighborhood. And I would be like, I don't want to be seen singing. Can you feel the love tonight with my, with my hippie witch aunt <laughs> <laughs> out in public. <laughs> So you didn't get the part of Simba. Would you blame that on racism or homophobia? 
Like, it couldn't be because you weren't good enough. <laughs> I mean, I, I was told at the time that it was because I lacked, quote, urban edge. And I think that's fair. I think that's fair, you know? And how many um, how many kids on uh, Long Island had that urban edge? You know, probably too many, arguably. I mean, they think that's, I mean, I think today we would just call that appropriation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a word for it now. There's a widely, widely known word for it now. Yeah. Um, hey, yeah. I have to just take a moment to say you've got multiple drinks. I do. Um, <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, it's nine in the morning. It's nine in the morning. So we're, yeah. we're like charging up. We're charging so up. So you've got... So you've got your um, coffee. I saw the coffee is now gone, and that's tea. What kind of tea is it? This is a green tea, uh, mm-hmm. and this is a uh, it's a coffee uh, with cinnamon in it. I put cinnamon in it, and it's it's <laughs> it's in a Starbucks cup, but it's not from Starbucks. I just keep the cup and keep using it. Um, but I I I'm a little uh, rattled this morning because when I was putting <laughs> when I was putting the cinnamon in, I accidentally dropped the the container of cinnamon into the coffee oh my and I gosh. spilled so much coffee <clears throat> and spilling coffee <laughs> is one of the saddest things you could do at yeah. nine in the morning I drink coffee now because I was afraid I was afraid Red Bull was going to kill me I was someone who woke up and started my day with a Red Bull Ooh. and all my all my best friends got very worried about me um, so now I do coffee but I actually hate the taste of coffee oh really but what else what I'll say is, is something about it tasting foul to me has now made it part of the addiction. Yes. Like, like it's almost like, you know how a shot of room temperature vodka doesn't go down so well, but you, you do it anyway. Cause totally you, know you have, um, <laughs> I have, I have a theory that that's like, that's like a human phenomenon, like coffee, cigarettes, even pop music. So many <laughs> things that we get addicted to are disgusting and we hate it. Like the first time I heard like Hannah Montana, I was like, this is this is the worst garbage from hell. Two months later, I'm like, you started ironically listening and then and then and then mm-hmm. suddenly you're just full blown enjoying it. <laughs> suddenly you're just full blown enjoying it. Yeah. And I, um, I think it's much a, like it's, bottoming. There you um, go. <laughs> Everything in life that we love is like disgusting, bad, and hurts at first. <laughs> and that's a part of why you like it. We're cracking the code here, people. Jared Goldstein and I, we've just figured out everything. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad we did this. Uh, <laughs> so you work mostly these days, I'm assuming, as a stand-up comedian. But mm-hmm. you've done multiple things, um, multiple things in the past. We talked about SNL. You played a character named Rex on um, Modern Family, which was mm-hmm. my moment of like, we had already met and then I was watching some old episodes of Modern Family and next thing I know, there you are, just being yelled at by Jesse Tyler Ferguson, <laughs> yeah. another guest of the pod. Um, and most recently, you did the Quibi series with Nicole Richie, um, mm-hmm. Nikki Fresh. And I've only gotten to see some of it, but you're fucking brilliant in it. <laughs> Thank you. Now available on Roku. Roku. There you yeah. go. I, I, when we, um, when I had you do an Instagram takeover, 
a while ago. Uh, we didn't know what was going to become of that show because Quibi simply went, didn't know. Quiput. It really <laughs> like what, and also what an iconic Quiput. <laughs> Huge. Huge. So um, the majority of the work that you do um, as a as a queer adult. Uh, is stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, stand-up comedy, like pretty much everything, was affected greatly by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. How did you make it through quarantine as a stand-up comedian? And um, where are you at now? Zoom shows. <laughs> we just did Zoom shows. Like, it really sucked at first to mm-hmm. to do stand-up on Zoom and to just know how crazy that was but then by like by the end of it just truly out of necessity we we just figured it out and i i would go so far as to say i had fun on zoom shows you had fun i did by the end of it i did and then i hope to never do them again please god never do another one again um but it was fun so it was it's fun to be able to see into everyone's apartments and then also to have <laughs> name tags on every audience member and to be able so to just to call, call them out, out by to name. people <laughs> yeah oh my god it's incredible um but what was so depressing every single time and never stopped hurting and was so depressing on such like a base human level that i could never turn off was for whatever reason collapsing the ring light after the show mm-hmm. was just mm-hmm. So humiliating every time. Well, I have to say, I mean, of all the things that were, you know, there was a lot of, I don't want to make it sound like it was all humdrummery because, you know, there were a lot of silver linings to to performing at home, to switching mm-hmm. to digital entertainment. One being, you know, as soon as I'm done with the gig, I'm home. home. Yeah. And um, uh, certainly not having to dress from the waist down was a boon as a drag queen. Um, but the hardest No thing, heels. <laughs> no heels, sometimes no corset, depending on how much the screen was showing. <laughs> but um, uh, the hardest thing as a performer, as a, a comic performer, um, was telling a joke, hitting the punchline, and then trying to assess how much space to give before you start talking again because you can't hear any laughter. And uh, telling a punchline to zero laughter really made me question my profession. <laughs> it was tough. Okay, my first my first uh, show online was on Twitch. Mm-hmm. And it was we so we recorded it like through Zoom to be broadcasted on Twitch. I still don't understand how it worked. <laughs> but it was it was over Twitch, and I was hosting the show, and it, it's a live show that I do here in LA. It's called Frog Town. It's every second and fourth Saturday. Come check it out. It's a lot of fun. It's tonight actually, which won't be the case when you're listening. Um, but just know it's kind of baked into the reality of this recording. Um, and we we did it over Twitch, and there were these like great producers that were like helping all this happen. And this was pretty early in the pandemic, so like it was mm-hmm. it was just all so new to us. And I was like, okay, so I'm gonna perform into my c- computer, and I'm not gonna hear any laughs, and that's just gonna be okay. Like I'm just gonna perform it like it's a monologue into like a camera that's being broadcasted out into the world. So I I start I start my set, and it's weird, but it's also fine. It's like okay, yeah, like. I'm not going to hear a laugh. So just like 
pretend like it's a self tape or something. Mm-hmm. So about like four or five jokes in a self tape for those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's, who let's don't translate. Know, is when you um, tape yourself for an audition. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yes, uh, and then no one watches it, and it never mattered. Um, but, uh, but uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm so I'm telling my jokes one after the next. Quiet. That's fine. And then after about like the fifth joke I tell, I hear laughter. And I realize <laughs> that I've just been bombing. And it had nothing to do with <gasps> the no. computer. It had nothing to do with Twitch. No. I misunderstood no. the explanation. And I was bombing. And I went, wait, I can hear laughs? <laughs> okay, cool. Good to know. Wow. Okay. And that was my first experience. <laughs> And that's where we started. And then we just kept doing it because why not? Why the hell not? And by the end of it, you know, I'm a Zoom pro. You know, if you need a Zoom yeah. comedian, baby, I feel like like those like <laughs> like Poconos comedians. Like that's kind of what that's kind of like a a skill it's I now have. It's an acquired skill. Yeah. It's an acquired skill. I have it. If you need it, you know, we'll bust it out. So what's it like? Going back to live shows now, post-pandemic, what are the big things that are different? What are the things that you're happy to see the same? It's incredible. And honestly, it feels the same. And that's the part that I that is the best, that it's that we've mm-hmm. made it back and we're back. Because it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's such, I'm like, you know, it's like performing live. It's like such a, it is such a sacred space. It is so, mm-hmm. so great. Um, So I'm just, I'm glad that it's exactly the same and we get to do it. And what a relief. And what a relief. (laughs) Yeah. So you are an accomplished comedian and actor, but you are also a dreamboat. And (laughs) um, I think we should talk about it because... Let's talk about it. I know that it threatened me. Uh, (laughs) 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 I know I felt personally attacked um, at the apex of the pandemic was when you revealed <laughs> that during quarantine, um, when I think a lot of the world was leaning into their vices, um, 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 giving themselves permission to, to lay around all day eating, <laughs> you were the one person in my hemisphere <laughs> <laughs> who decided I'm going to use this time to get a fucking eight pack <laughs> and then just casually reveal my new set of, I don't even want to call them washboard abs because who knows what a washboard is anymore. What's, what's a, what's a modern day. Maybe term like keyboard, keyboard stomach? abs. Maybe we can start that. But even keyboards are going up. People are like, what are keyboards? <laughs> You um, you used the pandemic to do some self-improvement. And we've talked about this between you and I before. Um, what I remember you saying was uh, you, you used working out to, like, stave off the crazies. 
Like yes. you basically did it to to stop yourself from going insane, and now totally. you're a, a total thirst trap. Um, <laughs> what what's life like for you now? That um, I mean, because you've always been wildly attractive, Thank but you. now you also have this stomach that's like a, a concealed weapon mm-hmm. um, that you can reveal whenever you need to distract us from maybe something horrible you've said. You can then just rip off your shirt, and it's like, but look at my abs. Yes. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, I can report as someone who didn't have abs and who now has abs. I am still getting dumped and ghosted. It's just by hotter guys. So it hurts more. (laughs) (laughs) To be plainly Um, rejected by a perfectly nice 10. (laughs) Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. Pain, the pain, the searing pain of that. Are you keeping up with that um, with that workout routine now? Is it now just a part of your life? I, honestly, I think so. I'm trying to. I mean, it's not. I, I've cut it in half because basically, mm-hmm. like during the second wave, I was just so at home and so bored and so anxious. So mm-hmm. what I would do is work out twice a day, every day, and I did that for like four months. Um, it was also a way to help the time. I was just trying to burn through time. I was like, I gotta, this day has to end. How can I make this day end? <laughs> um, so I don't work out twice a day anymore. Once in a blue moon, I'll do it twice a day. But I do work out every day now, just like once a day every day. And it just feels like, yeah, it just feels, it just feels right. I want to know what's, so there's something fundamentally different about us because <laughs> I had all the same instincts. I I said all the same things you just said to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and my way of doing that was sinking heavily into video games and binge watching shows that I've already seen three or four times. I want to know what part of my brain is, I want to I want to um, pinpoint the part of your brain that said. I'd like to work out with this time mm-hmm. um, versus the part of my brain that said, um, you know, play, play a long form fantasy RPG. That's literally going to eat up 10 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> what you sit there on your ass, not moving anything, but your, my thumbs, my thumbs got the work. Hey, your, th- your thumbs are shredded. <laughs> Yeah. I was going to ask, what's going on with your thumbs? <laughs> They're, you know what? Um, no, God, I, I was trying to make a sex joke, but who uses <laughs> thumbs in the bedroom? <laughs> you know? Oh, man. Um, uh, I would just so, say the part of my brain is the control center. I'm just such mm-hmm. a control freak. I've always been mm-hmm. such a control freak. And I think it truly, like, it just comes from, like, closeted life of, like, yeah. Uh, like realizing something about yourself that is a problem and having mm-hmm. to like obsessively uh, manage that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I don't have a workout center of my brain because I came out so early, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, I definitely had the experience of thinking I have to hide this part of myself. Um, and, you know, I didn't, come out as uh, a gender variant <laughs> or as the as the um TSA call it a groin anomaly. Um <laughs> is that what they call it? 
I went through security once and they misgendered me, um, scanned me as a female. And because I have a penis, they then had to like do an additional security pat down because they had misgendered me. Um, I mean, they weren't wrong. I mean, I was, I present femme. I'm a trans femme, non-binary person. So when I go through the security at TSA, you know, they flip a coin. <laughs> That's what the T they... <laughs> in TSA stands for. It stands for trans femme, non-binary person, security, security. association. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I get, I, I'm used to being misgendered and I don't even know if misgendered is the right term for it because... I am a, a, an AMAB person who presents femme, who is mm-hmm. trans femme. So it's like, I'm used to being called ma'am, sir. I'm used to being, um, you know, them flipping a coin at the TSA. But what I'm not used to is having a person go, we got a groin anomaly. <laughs> We're going to have to do an additional security pat down. Um, we have a groin anomaly here. And then every other passenger just turning and facing me and then staring at my crotch like what could the groin anomaly be wow <laughs> groin anomaly that's like <laughs> fun to say groin anomaly that's like groin a anomaly. it's like a it's like a vocal warm up groin anomaly there you go red leather ye- yellow leather groin anomaly groin anomaly groin anomaly, groin anomaly. Groin anomaly. Groin anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> so I forget where I was going with this, but yes, I, I know the life of like having to obsess over hiding something mm-hmm. or, you know, the coded language that we use um, in not safe spaces. <clears throat> I just don't think I was ever very good at hiding it. You know, like when I came out as non-binary, um, m- most of my friends just said, did you think, what What did you think we thought you were before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you think you were passing as 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 male before this? <laughs> um, but that gets me into the next thing I'd like to talk to you about is um, so you've got the you've got the keyboard abs. Mm-hmm. You are stunningly attractive, mm-hmm. and you have chosen to subvert gender roles and expectations as in many of your stand-ups, um, you are wearing uh, sensible tennis skirts. Yes. And what I love is that you just pair <laughs> I it love with, tennis. Pair it I'm with, sporty. <laughs> you pair it with, um, I wouldn't say a basic, but you pair it with a, a fairly neutral top, usually like a long sleeve, a jumper, as they say in the UK. Yeah, I would say basic. British, I can say it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So you've got a tennis skirt, uh, a pretty uh, uh, basic jumper. Yeah. And then and then you stand there and tell your jokes. Are is any of your material about the tennis skirt? Or is it just that you're you're just standing there in a skirt? Yeah, you know, so like it, it usually isn't. Because mm-hmm. it's it's so funny because like when I started when I started doing stand up it was like at open mics in L A like in and around the club scene and there mm-hmm. was like a really specific male way to do stand up and I would dress like as head to toe neutral as possible I would mm-hmm. always tie my hair back I would not wear my hair down like if if I for whatever reason didn't know I was being called next and suddenly was I would scatter to tie my hair back 
and be late to the stage because I was like, I will, I cannot wear my hair down. If my hair's down, then it's like, it's going to be a distraction and everyone's going to think that I'm like not focused on like the material and like all this stuff. But then like, I really credit New York comedians Mm-hmm. specifically the hot girl comedians um, <laughs> like Sydney Washington, like Mary Beth Barone and so many others, Marie Faustin, um, for really like ushering in this like new way of doing comedy, which is so silly that we ever like thought we couldn't do this, but like mm-hmm. to to be on stage, look incredible, to look feminine, and still be so funny and everybody will just get over it and they'll just let it be. Um, So then like just over the years, just started to like slowly experiment with like, maybe I'll let my hair down for this set. Like Mm -hmm. maybe I'll wear like loud pants, like maybe all this, like maybe. (laughs) And then in the pandemic, like I was just so desperate for stimulation being at home every day, like the same day over and over. So I just started buying skirts online to yeah. wear around the house and just to kind of shake, shake things up, you know? Shake things up for your house plants. Yeah. <laughs> Get a load of yeah. these gams, these spider yes. plants. <laughs> yes. Just looking, looking coy over at a house plant. Like, <laughs> are you looking? Stop. <laughs> um, and then when it, you know, when it came time to, you know, get vaccinated and get back out there. And I thought to myself, like, like, am I going to wear these skirts, like, out into the world? Am I going to, like, wear these on stage even? And it just seems so exciting and fun to think about doing that. Um, so then, yeah, I did. And I, I don't know. I, I think, like, in at any other time in my life, it would have uh, involved a lot more insecurity and, like, doubt and, like, thought. Or even just mm-hmm. thought. Like, I would really think about it. Like, what would it mean? What would it be like? But because I think for a lot of people, because of the pandemic, there was just this feeling of like, whatever we thought were the rules are just gone. They're just out the window. Absolutely. And it felt like nothing. It felt like nothing for me to get on stage in a skirt and then just do that. And and it's been great. Like, sometimes I talk about it. Sometimes I don't. It's kind of fun not to talk about it. Like, that feels like yeah. the fun thing. It's just to get on stage in a skirt, look great, not mention it, get off stage, keep it moving. Because I imagine you're cishet, you know, uh, normies in your audience <laughs> mm-hmm. um, are probably sitting there the whole time like, when is he going to talk about? Why is he Why is he wearing a skirt? And, <laughs> but you don't have to talk about it because no. you like to wear skirts. And that's why yeah. I say um, I commend you for subverting gender norms, um, breaking down the idea of gender norms. And and doing so with a plum. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What's your typical stand-up experience? Do you um do you work mostly in queer lineups? Do you find yourself having to mix and mingle with people outside of the community often. I think I, f- I feel as an outsider, you know, my stand-up experience, like my, you know, stand-up in capital letters experience is limited. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think a lot of what I do is stand-up adjacent, but, you know, drag queens, um, there's a lot of low overlap between drag queens and stand-up comedians, but mm. I would say that drag queens do a special brand 
of stand-up, where it's not quite stand-up, but it's not quite cabaret, and it's not quite just... It's more you know. fun. <laughs> it's more fun. We can just say that. I, as someone who has done stand-up on many a drag show, and I, I yeah. know not to, but I can't. I just can't say no. If somebody asks me, hey, will you perform on my show? I'm like, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I'm just grateful to be asked. I'm happy to do it. Mm-hmm. Woo! I mean, to perform stand-up on a drag show, wow. It First of all, they literally have to turn the music off so you can do the thing. <laughs> so right away... It's a, it is a literal stop. record scratch <laughs> moment. And then it's like, do you want to hear about my bar mitzvah? <laughs> and they're like, no, no, we're drunk and we're partying. Yeah. So it's more fun. But but to answer your question, it's it's pretty mixed, honestly. Like mm-hmm. it used to like when I when I first started, like it was an extremely straight, heterosexual centric experience, straight crowds more straight comedians than than otherwise. Um, but it's changed. It has changed over the last... I've been doing stand-up for like six years. And it's changed. But what I... I do love all of it. Like, it's all interesting to me. And that's what I love about stand-up. It's that, like, it's live. It's real. It's happening right now. It's happening in front of our faces. And it's, it's just so real and alive. Mm-hmm. And when I... Sometimes, like, I'll perform at colleges. My first college ever was uh, in Utah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I per- I'm performing for maybe, like, 200 college students. And it's my- also my first time really traveling. I've never really seen the country. Like, doing stand-up, I've gotten to see all these parts of the country that I just never would have gone to. Like, cornfields and mountains and, like, the Omaha Zoo. Like, just all this stuff. <laughs> Like just, I'm like looking at a giraffe in Omaha, and I'm just like, this is because of open mics. What's the deal? (laughs) Yeah, airline food, giraffe. Totally. (laughs) Um, So I'm at this school, and I I just out of curiosity, I'm like, are there any queer people here? Out of 200, Mm -hmm. there was one person. I was like, are there any Asian people here? Out of 200, there was one person. I was like, are there any Jewish people here? Zero. No Jewish people out of 200 students. And then as a, like, as a joke, really, I was like, clap if I'm the first Jewish person you've ever seen speaking. <laughs> and a bunch of them clapped. <laughs> and it's like, that's incredible. I'm like, this is incredible. Yeah. I'm your first speaking Jewish person? <laughs> speaking Jewish person? We had only seen pictures of you in our yes. history books. <laughs> yes. So like for me, like I, I love it. I love interacting with people who aren't like me. Um, mm-hmm. and finding the ways that we're just like each other. We're so alike. Yeah. It's like, uh, like I love it. I really, really do. Like, before, so I was working with Nicole Richie on this, on this, on this show. And, like, before I had met her, like, years ago, I just had fallen into, like, a Nicole Richie YouTube yeah. K-hole, as I want to do. And I watched her on, like, I think it was, like, Rachel Ray or something. Like, she was just doing, like, a talk show at some point in, like, I don't know, like, 2012 or whatever. And she was, like, she had mentioned that, like, she, like, growing up the way she did, she met all these different people. And what she really aspired to was, like, people who were the same around all these different people and could interact with all different kinds of people and still Mm -hmm. feel like themselves and be themselves. And when she, like she said that, I was like, 
damn, that is so real. And that is now what I aspire to. I want to yeah. be the kind of person who can be around all different kinds of people and always still feel like myself around them. Um, yeah. And also a cool thing, because years later, I worked with her and I got to tell her that. And like, she didn't even remember like whatever show, because I also can remember <laughs> what show it was. And I was like, you're on a talk show. And it was like two in the morning and I was just clicking links and I watched you say that. And I was like, oh my God, like that is so right on. Uh, so I really like performing for all different kinds of people. Sometimes I'll perform for entirely straight audiences. I performed on a gay cruise a couple of years back. And it was like every night for, uh, I performed with Joel Kimbooster, who's been on this pod before. Mm-hmm. I, um, and he talked about a gay cru- I wonder if it was the same gay cruise. It definitely was. It definitely was. <laughs> um, and he's a favorite on those cruises. Uh, and And everywhere. But I didn't want to assume. I didn't want to assume all gay cruise comedians <laughs> were related. So, yes. Um. <laughs> and, and thank you for that. And thank you. Um, but uh, but on that on that boat, it was every night. 125 gay men between the ages of like 20 and 80. There was such a diversity mm-hmm. on that boat that was like so cool to see. Um, and, and that's like its own interesting challenge of like performing for only other gay men is wild. And ar- argue, I think if you talk to comedians, to gay comedians, they will corroborate that it is more difficult. It's more difficult <laughs> to perform for a hundred gay guys than it is to perform for a hundred straight people of some variety. Well, you know, as much as I hate to be um, a novelty in things, you know, as much as I hate like being brought in as the drag queen novelty in mm-hmm. an otherwise, you know, um, cishet situation, um, sometimes it's nice to be able to lean on the fact that you're the novelty. Yeah. But when you're when you're performing for an, an all queer audience, that novelty is gone, and you have to just be talented. Totally. And- <laughs> It's like it's like being around your friends or being around your family. You know, yeah. they're just not impressed. <laughs> they just don't give a shit. Yeah. Um so I have to this is a bit of a spoiler. Um as in it had this episode hasn't aired yet, aired, um uh, been released yet. Um but you were a guest on my Futurama podcast. I'm 40% podcast and um your episode's coming up soon. So this is a little plug for that, but it's also, um, I learned something um, in our uh, recording for the Futurama podcast that I've thought about multiple times since this conver- uh, since our conversation back then. And I think at one point in the pod, no, I don't think, I know at one point in the podcast, <laughs> I said, so you are Japanese and Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, you were raised with both of those cultures. And how has that been for you? Is that Has that been a particular um, uh, thing you had to deal with in life? <laughs> or some, some vague question just <laughs> alluding to your, your heritage and your background. And you said to me, um, it hasn't really affected me, except for the fact that everyone asks me, what's it like being <laughs> Japanese and Jewish? Aren't and I a like miserable, the- <laughs> miserable person? No, I, I learned so much in that one exchange. I was like, okay, and the only thing I can relate it to, and this is going to be so weird and non sequitur, but um, I was working with Kristen Johnson in, um, for that 
short-lived gay-for-play game show hosted by RuPaul. Mm -hmm. And Kristen Johnson and I had met um, on my season of Drag Race. And of course, she was a feminist icon to me from a young age, playing the character Sally on Third Rock from the Sun. Did you see her in 555? No, I haven't. <gasps> okay, John Early, Kate Berlant, they have a, a series, a limited series. It's on Vimeo. I've it's called seen, 555. Yeah, I've seen a lot of 555, but I did not see Kristen. <gasps> that is the <laughs> single best episode. You must go back. But anyway, I'm sorry. Keep going. Well, uh, all I was going to say is I had been binging Third Rock from the Sun, and I didn't know that she was going to be on this episode with me. And so I see her, and we're catching up, and I'm like, it's just so crazy to see you right now, because I was just watching you on Third Rock from the Sun. And she said, crazy? It's only crazy for you. I wasn't watching Third Rock from the Sun. (laughs) (laughs) I I was like, I was like, that is so true and so telling like and and then I had to examine those moments of like when I'm meeting someone who I'm fanning over and I'm like it's so crazy to meet you it is only crazy for one person in that situation (laughs) and so I relate the two things to um uh I have to imagine uh from from what you said do you find being queer Asian and Jewish all that intersectionality living inside of you at once. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that something that white people focus on? (laughs) Is that something you have to constantly like (laughs) deal with white people asking you about? Well, the truth is it's something that like I, I have always thought about, like it's always, even before I knew the word intersectionality, like it was, it's just, it's always been a part of who I am. Um, So it has framed the way that I see myself and other people and I think about the world because I think growing up like there are um, there are a lot of ideas about what all people are like and those were projected on me at different times and Mm -hmm. didn't feel like it fit and I and I just, there's like a, there's a, there's a confusion. There's a confusion that is like the experience of being biracial, of being gay or queer. Um, that is one that's like very clear to me. And now, nowadays we have more language for it. So it's, it's interesting to like have conversations even right now. I'm like to have a conversation about it. It's like, it's hard to put it into words, but it's basically just like, Lots of like mild confusion, uh, small misunderstandings, um, but they're also like, I I really I I want to see the best in people, and I want I know that like even if I'm having like a bizarre interaction with somebody about my identity uh, with a white person, but it's also not with just white people. But anyway, um, I'm always like trying to just like see like what is like what's the intention here. And for the most part, the intention is good. So I'm just kind of focusing on that. Yeah, I think it was a really, I, I really appreciated the the brief conversation we had around it because it really made me reflect on myself and why I thought that question was going to be this like, oh, I've got a great question for Jared that we can dive (laughs) into on this podcast. And then after you gave my favorite response (laughs) that you could have possibly (laughs) given, um, I reflected on, oh, I thought this was going to be an interesting question 
because in my mind, you know, we don't see a lot of representation of mixed race or um, biracial or POC Jewish people. So to my like conditioned brain, I was like, oh, this is a very interesting topic that Jared will want to talk about. But that's only as a white person who's been conditioned to believe that it's, you know, some kind of unicorn spotted in nature to to meet a POC Jewish person. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing. I do want you to keep seeing me that way. I don't want to ruin that. I am a unicorn. I am an extremely unique and special magical person. And Absolutely. that any reason why anyone thinks that of me is is welcome. <laughs> um, so if you want to hear that awkward conversation, <laughs> listen to <laughs> I'm 40% podcast, the Jerry Goldstein episodes um, coming up. But I, I thought for me, it felt like a wonderful teachable moment. So thank you. Thank you so much for bestowing me. <laughs> You're so welcome. I am a, I'm an educator. And that's what I came on this podcast today to, to show. And and you did it with comedy, which is my favorite way to educate people. And um, we talked a little bit about the the tabula rasa that we're kind of entering into with um, the post-pandemic life. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, I mean, of course, there are the willfully ignorant and they are the bane of our existence. The people who choose not to educate themselves and <sighs> choose not to learn anything, really. But I think... Um, it's honest, just with, the idea that like they're like, I think I can figure this out. The fact that they're even <laughs> like starting to look into chemistry, I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Um, I think one of the silver linings of the pandemic and everyone being glued to their phone and their social media for a while is um, with the pandemic, we learned that nothing is promised to us at any moment. Um, but everything could change. And then that started getting us to question authority. It started getting us to question the systems that we've always like lived by just because that's what was in place when we were born. Mm -hmm. And we've been conditioned to believe that certain things are natural and normal when really they're just man-made, uh, confinements that we've all like unconsciously agreed to live within. And I think one of the silver linings of the pandemic is we've begun to question everything. We've begun to question what is normal and why have we considered that normal? And um, I think, I think there's this opportunity now, especially, you know, I can only speak as a live entertainer, but there's this opportunity now to move forward just completely casting out all the preconceived notions, all the like assumptions um, that we had before, because now it's all just been, it's all been wiped clean. We've learned that pretty much every assumption we had pre-pandemic was uh, just that, an assumption. And now we have to actually like, you know, put on our glasses and start reading again, (laughs) finding out, the truth that exists in reality. Um, so thank you for being one of the people at the forefront of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for sharing your comedy and just being you, the unicorn in the world. 
um, with the keyboard abs and the tennis Ugh. skirts. Just you being you, um, doing your work on stage, I think does a lot of good for a lot of people. And um, I have to assume for yourself. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Thank you. You know, I, I don't I don't think of it enough that way. I am a unicorn pioneer educator with keyboard abs and <laughs> nine to 12 minutes of stand-up comedy, depending on <laughs> how much fun I'm having. That's, give it up. Give it up. <laughs> give it up. <laughs> Jared Goldstein, you inspire me. And now, um, at the end of this lovely conversation, I'm going to ask you my go-to questions. Okay. And um, answer them however you feel like it. Okay. One, who is your celebrity crush? <gasps> oh, great question. <laughs> you know, I've I've listened to the pod and I've heard and I, I've I've thought, what would I what would I answer? And it took me this long to figure it out. And then I went, oh right, of course. Of course, that's my answer. <laughs> but for some reason, I have a block in, in getting it. <laughs> I will admit that I've said, um, I know that I've said you um, mm. a couple times. And thank you. Um, uh, I'm tr- now I'm blank. I feel like I've used all my, oh, you know who I'm going to say today? Mm. Um, Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we have seen Macaulay Culkin throughout our lives take on many different uh many different roles in society (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i haven't watched the new season of american horror story yet but i hear that he's fantastic on it plus um um a number of my drag sisters make appearances on this new season so i gotta get into it um but i like to binge shows so i typically wait for it to be done and everyone to be like fully sick of it and then that's when i get into it and try to force my opinions on my friends about we a show it. that happened months ago <laughs> <laughs> you know i it just came to me you know who my celebrity crush is mm. who i saw them yesterday at trader joe's hottest human person on planet earth I didn't get his name, <laughs> but oh my God, he is a celebrity to me. He had like shark eyes. Okay. You know, like just big, big, like black eyes. Black, glassy, dead eyes. Peering out of a mask. <laughs> oh, wow. That was incredible. That was a sighting. That was a sight. Changed my day. Well, that was the most clever cop-out I've ever heard. Are you (laughs) spiritual? (laughs) Am I spiritual? Sure. Is that convincing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, You know, I... I I read The Secret in college. (laughs) The Secret. You know who was a big fan of The Secret? I don't think it ever aired or came up... um, yeah, it's not. I don't think it's in any clips. But Roxy Andrews had just like just read The Secret when we filmed Drag Race, and um, she brought it up quite a bit. Mm. It was kind of behind a lot of her decision making. Was The Secret, but The Secret for me, it's not even my experience. But um, I like to think of this experience that my best friend had 
um, where they went to get cupcakes for their boss at Victoria's Secret just to like start the day well, just to like start everything off in a good mood. And let's have some let's have some cupcakes to make sure this shift is a fun shift for all of us. Um, they bring in the cupcakes, present them to their boss, and their boss says, "Oh my God, I secreted these." doesn't give any acknowledgement to the fact that they bought the cupcakes themselves. Like, yes, you may have secreted this. You may have wished for these cupcakes. But it took me actually going and buying them for them to be here for you. Yeah, I mean, there is, and I'm I'm glad that we're seeing it now, like, as a culture, there's an extremely toxic sort of foundation to that sort of thinking. (laughs) And that's that's a perfect example. Self-actualizing is very important and very useful, but don't let it stand in the way of showing gratitude to the person who actually did the thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and finally, what is your go-to karaoke song? I fucking hate karaoke. Uh, that's okay. I hate gonna, it. I'm and it goes back to like being made to sing. I don't like it. I, yeah, I hear that. I'm a karaoke addict, but that's exactly why I don't do it very often. Mm-hmm. Because I am I am that horrible musical theater person who goes to karaoke and gets up to the mic and pretends like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I should sing. Okay, I'll just do a little song that I that I like to sing and then fully start belting creep. And yes. <laughs> It was very useful for me once, though. I'll give you this quick story. I've never been extremely close with my dad. We our, our relationship has always been strained, but my dad loves karaoke. And one time he came to visit me in Seattle, and the only thing I could think to do was take him to my favorite. It was a queer karaoke bar, but he didn't care. He just wanted to go to karaoke. Mm-hmm. Um my dad got up there and sang, Ace of Spades, Ace of Spades. <laughs> he always does like thrasher metal at karaoke. Um, and then I got up and sang Creep right afterward and, um, you know, belted it out, took it up the octave, really flexed, flexed my karaoke muscles for my dad. And then I sat down back at the table and he was just like, yeah, that was that was pretty good. <laughs> And it was, it was my equivalent of like, um, you know, beating your dad at basketball, you know, that moment where you say, Hey dad, guess what? <laughs> You're not the big dog. Yes. Anymore, <laughs> you showed him. <laughs> Um, in any case, dad, if you're listening, whatever, um, <laughs> my birthday's September 18th. I know you always forget, but it's coming up. So One week. <laughs> hopefully I'll get that obligatory text once a year. Anyway, enough about my strained relationships. Do you have anything you'd like to promote and where can our listener, listener, listeners find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hey Jared. Hey. You should watch Nikki Fresh on Roku and you should support the Green New Deal in that order. (laughs) The Green New Deal is important, but not as important as Roku. As Roku. (sighs) Jared, 
I just adore you. Jinx. And um I adore you. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna hang out very soon. Yes. Um in real life. Um so thank you so much for being our guest today. And thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram or Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. That's J I N K X. You have to use the K because I paid for it and it's very expensive, right, Jared? Mm-hmm. Um, follow Jared Goldstein at. Sorry, let me pronounce your name correctly. <laughs> Don't fuck follow, this up. <laughs> follow Jared Goldstein on at Hey Jared Hey across all platforms. And thank you all for listening to Hi Jinx. We'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi Jinx. Forever. To listen to Hi Jinx ad free and one day early, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. Make sure to follow at Forever Dog Team and at Mom Podcasts on social and rate and review Hi Jinx five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi Jinx is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, produced by Big Dipper, editing and sound design by Will Pitts, executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.